This is the Cave of Solitude, your pop culture and comic book podcast coming to you from the megacity metropolis of Toronto. I'm your host, Eric Anthony, and this is episode 277, Book of the Month Club with Adam Chapman. Adam Chapman of the Comic Shenanigans, welcome back to the show, my friend. How you been doing? Thank you. I'm good. Thanks so much for having me back. You know, I've been I've been waiting. It's funny because I was like, I really enjoyed the last one we did of this, and I was like, we should do some more. And you're like, yeah, but it's it's book of the month, man. And I'm like, yeah, but we can record like more often. You'd have some in the tank, and you're like, of the month, dude. I'm like, all right. <laughs> but you want to know what? I am totally down for that because if I if we did two book of the months or books of the months. Right, that's how it would work. <laughs> Books of the month, that'd be fine too. I want to be yeah, like, well, go ahead. We could, re- sorry, I was just gonna say we could record a ton and just yeah, you, you know, you'd, you'd you'd have content for a while. You know, it's all about. I mean, you're in the podcasting game. It's all about content generation and Absolutely. having stuff ready so that you're yeah. not. You know, like me, I've been behind on my mythical schedule for like a year where I'm constantly like, oh, my God, I got to get caught up. Oh, my God, I'm behind. I got to you know dump a few episodes. I can try and get more caught up and it never works. So I get it. So, you know, if you have, you know, stuff in the tank, you know, you should do it. This is an interesting week for me. Like I haven't done a lot of podcasting recently with other people. And then yesterday I recorded like a 15 minute pod with my son. He was like, do I have to do this? I'm like, yes, Zach. We may not have much more opportunities to do this, so we have to do this. So we did a podcast about Sonic 2 that just came out last week. Mm -hmm. And then uh, I have, uh, obviously I'm talking with you today. Uh, And then on Thursday, um, as we record, I guess it's Thursday, what the, I don't even know what day that is. What day, what day is Thursday? Is it the 14th or 15th? 14th, yeah, yeah, 14th. 14th, okay. So the 14th, I'm doing an interview with Kelly Thompson, who's coming back on the show for the third time. And then uh, I'm doing a a quick kind of podcast thing with uh, Curtis Finley, a friend of us from the Epic Marvel podcast. And for him, I'm doing um, a few, I don't think we're doing a full Epic, we're we're just doing a few chapters of the Assassin Nation plot from Amazing Spider-Man and the David Michelinie and Tom McFarlane here. So uh, I've gone from not doing a lot of podcasting with other people that aren't just me talking into a tin can to suddenly I'm talking with a lot of people. Right, right. Well, you always know that you're welcome here. So if you're down for, for podcasting, we can arrange it. I'm down. I, I You say that now. I am. But if my show does wrap in August... I might be like ringing you up and like I'm having I'm having the chills. You know, don't I'm, worry. I'm it's all part shakes. of what am I doing without podcasting? It's all part of the plan. I if I could get interchanging weeks between you and Dave for the whole month, I'm happy with that. That's the type of podcast I want to have. And then you you get an interview every now and then. I'm good. Mm-hmm. But if you can have that regular sort of banter with people that you enjoy just hanging out with and talking and nerding out, that's all I want. Maybe it's a Maybe. lazy approach, but if it's fun. <laughs> If it's fun for the people that are doing it, it's oftentimes fun for the people listening. I found in my podcast. Yeah, no, absolutely. That you know, so I'll give that a go. But yeah, I want to get a couple things in motion for the show that become little regular outlets. So I'm happy that we're gonna get our April Book of the Month Club in. Let's do it. <laughs> I also feel like at some point, somehow, yeah. there should be an episode that you do where you know it's both me and Dave because yes. otherwise. Our- are we not just Pokeroo? Like, you know, like I just disappear. <laughs> suddenly I, 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 t- I take a plane to the UK and I change my voice and suddenly, I'm just, you know, you think I'm someone else? Like, who knows? That's true. You've never been seen together. <laughs> nope, never. Could it's be like, oh, he was guy. just here. Oh, yeah. shit, really? He was just here podcasting? Oh, man, I missed it again. That, that would be a tremendously fun hangout to, for the three of us yeah. to be talking comics. Did you realize as a kid that the other performer who left is the one who was Pokeroo? Yes, I did. You knew it as as a child. You knew like you weren't suckered into this. I was pretty early where I'm like, wait a second, and only because, <laughs> and I think it's because of the comic book sort of understanding. Okay. Like when one person disappears and this guy shows up, it's usually because it's the same guy, right? That's pretty next level, man. Like you're a pretty smart kid, there. Like I don't think I figured that out when I was a little. Like a little kid, I don't think it really dawned on me. Like I don't, I wasn't, I wasn't reading comics at all when I was that young. But I feel like I didn't know. And hmm. at, at some point, we all kind of know, and then you know, it changes your life forever. Like you'll never go back. You can never go back to not knowing that Pokeroo is that other person. 
That's right. I know. That's the thing, right? When the when the genie's out of the bottle, you can never put it back. They say, and sometimes it's like, it's probably more fun to just keep it in there for some things, right? There's some things yes. you get a little too old for, but there's some stuff. It's like, ah, man, why'd you gotta ruin that for me? That's why you know, for a lot of like uh, special effects for movies, sometimes I I used to like seeing the behind the scenes, how it was done, how it's made. But there's sometimes it's like, like that whole movie was in, with a green screen. It's like ah. Mm. I'd rather have believed that they were actually on location somewhere, but yeah, to each his own. So as we sure. as, right. now, let's break down every panel of these two issues. <laughs> let's get behind the <laughs> well, scenes. This, this is funny, right? Because so when we talked last time, so when we first talked about doing book of the month, the first thing that came into my mind, mm-hmm. obviously, is what the one we did last time, which was Amazing Spider-Man one twenty-one to one twenty-two, the death of Gwen Stacy and the original death of the Green Goblin. So that was. Like the first thing on my mind, let's talk about that. Everyone knows that story, but let's really get into it. And then this one, I was like, well, this is like a great follow-up to that that no one really talks about. Um, And it's interesting because like we've seen it replicated to certain degrees in movies and in TV shows. Um, Maybe I'd say the 90s animated series did a fairly good job of capturing the spirit and actually for some stuff, actually replicating certain panels and moments. Um, but you know, it's a tough thing to do and you can only do it once. Like this type of story is Peter finds out that Harry is, you know, knows he's Spider-Man and now he's taking on the guys of the Green Goblin from his father. That only happens once. That, that, we're talking about genies that can only ever come out of the bottle once. You can only really do that once. And what's so fascinating about this, especially in the resolution to 137, it's almost like Jerry Conway was like, well, we can't do what we did in the sixties where you know, Harry, sorry, Norman kept getting convenient amnesia. Like, we can't do that. We can't put that genie back in the bottle and still have the character running around. So we're going to have to do something a little bit different. So I, I'm jumping ahead of myself, but it's interesting. Like, it's it's a real game changer. Like, you have, you know, uh, a main supporting cast member become a villain, which becomes a very long-standing trope in Spider-Man comics to this day. It constantly happens where people in his... Is you know worldview keep getting powers? I mean, it had already happened before this because you had John Jameson turns into Man Wolf, but he wasn't like a regular player. But this was like a bedrock character, a member of the supporting cast, you know, becoming a super super character, whether it be hero or villain. That happens throughout his history. Flash Thompson became Venom. You know, there's many others, but this was like the first big one. And again, this starts an, an entire new trope. Of, of Spider-Man villain. You could argue that Norman was kind of like that too, but he was, again, a satellite character who'd only been around a couple months. This was a bedrock, important supporting cast member, and now it's changed forever because now they're a goblin, and that's always going to be a part of that character's story moving forward. So it's a really impactful story that no one really talks about. It's true. I've, I hadn't ever read it before this episode. Like, I, had it, I, I read it for our last one, I thought we were going to cover all of it, but it was a little bit too much mm-hmm. content that in these short, like we mentioned, you know, these were uh, storylines that would get dragged out to 12 issues today if something major oh, yeah. like this happened. And these were, both of them are wrapped up in two issues and they are so game changing to the character and his world. And especially for the Osborne Parker family, like this is forever oh, yeah. going to be one of the great, stories in in you know comic mythology you got bruce and the joker or batman and the joker mm-hmm. you got spider-man and and green goblin peter and norman like it's it's so deep i'm trying to think of other things that resonate that way you know lex and, and superman but it's debatable of which one like the joker and batman mm-hmm. and spider-man and, and the goblin because mm-hmm. they will hurt you in ways that no one else might even think of doing True. And and they make a, the a story similar stick. one, although maybe not quite as deeply mm. personal, but mm-hmm. well, personal in a different way would obviously be Charles Xavier Magneto. Yeah. Because they also share that yes, kind of aspect true. of friendship. Again, not originally, but they kind of retroactively put that in there. That you know, they had this friendship, there was a respect, it broke down at some point and then they became lifelong enemies. And at times they'll be, you know, heroic again together and be friends together and ultimately eventually, you know, usually turn to being villains again. So that's probably the the closest one in terms of replicating not just this deep-seated you know combativeness that will always be there but also having the element of friendship between them as well that almost makes it all the more painful um which is obviously something that impacts spider-man here yeah i think there's nothing quite like this one because 
you'll always have this reverence that and love that these characters legitimately have for each other. It's sincere, but then that mm-hmm. anger and that guilt towards the other and that distrust is also so sincere. And you never know which one you're getting yourself into when you get into a story. Like, is there going to be a For flip? Sure. Is he going to is he going to save him, or is he going to be yeah. the one who's been plotting it the whole time? And how how do they get over this one? That's always the thing. But this being the first one, yeah, it's it fetches a pretty penny, like one thirty six as a collector's item. It's not a cheap book, but again, it it doesn't hold the same. Like you said, it, it's not even reprinted that often in some way that. It should be, because it's mm-hmm. it belongs on a on a completed shelf or a Spidey's fan shelf. They have the other one, yeah. the new Goblin. They put a whole little set together for that, but they've never done this one unless it's like in Masterworks or Omnibus, right? Yeah, uh, I think a long time ago there was a Spider-Man versus Green Goblin trade. I mm. think they had it, or maybe that was oh no, Son of the Goblin was the name of it. Um, so it was in there, um, but again, you're right; okay. it doesn't show up often. Um, you know, it's unless you're in Masterworks, I guess in omnibus format that you can put it there as well. Um, but yeah, it's not something that they often come back to. And I, I, again, it's it's extremely impactful. It matters a lot. But for whatever reason, I mean, it's not the first time we've heard of a Spider-Man storyline not being reprinted. I mean, hello, Child Within is right, obviously always right. going to be number one, number, number one. one with a bullet. But there's something about this being in Amazing Spider-Man. This yeah. was the core book. It gets, re- you know, a lot of these issues do get eventually reprinted. Um, my first time reading this, I don't even remember. I remember seeing like trading cards. The cover to me is so memorable, yeah. but also batshit crazy. Like, what is happening here? Like, the buildings are on a weird angle. Like, they're, I don't know what they're standing on. Like, none of it really makes sense aesthetically. And yet, it somehow really grabs your attention. Um, it's interesting, too, because if you were to read the issues leading up to this, you would see that, um, you know, Conway was playing with this idea that, that Harry Osborn knew that he was Spider-Man. He had the mask, or sorry, he found the mask in Peter's stuff, and it kind of broke his mind because then everything he thought was true is true, and they were leading up to this. And so it's interesting that in this issue, they don't pull a 121, they don't pull a surprise cover, like you're not going to, you know, you, you won't even believe what's here. That's they true. throw you right into the front of it, and they say, like, you know, these two characters are going to go at it. And, you know, the goblin is back and there's no surprises there, which is kind of shocking. Um, but again, also re- makes for quite an arresting cover that if you were look, thumbing through the newsstand, you'd be like, holy shit, the Green Goblin. Isn't that character dead? Oh, crap. He lives again. Harry Osborn. Like, there's just so much to unpack here. And these are very old school covers because you have them, you know, talking to each other, exclaiming on it. Um, I find it a tremendously engaging cover. Yeah, it's, even though it... I don't know how to say this term. Is it buries the lead when they put everything on like right on Front Street, or are they trying to hide it? Like they didn't hide anything. Uh, is what I'm trying to say. Yes, they're not hiding a thing. And there's like spoilers right in the copy, <laughs> and you would yeah. you would think like that's not a good idea. But when you just based off of the cover, it makes you want to like this is this is a fight that I've been waiting for. Like they've been building up to this. We know that this is about to happen, and. Even though it's all there on Front Street and it's, it is spoiled, it's almost like I need to read what happens between the friends fighting. Cause, and, and it's nice to know that um, they didn't try to sell you on the fact that Norman Osborn lived. Like, no, he's dead. Like, those oh, deaths yeah, counted. True. You know, he, it isn't him. And it isn't, you know, Gwen's not coming back either. And every time they did that, they did it in a way where it's like, sorry it isn't what you're hoping or think that this 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 isn't your typical comic books. The no. stuff that we're doing is going to matter for now, right? <laughs> of yes. course, everything changed. But at this time, f- for Jerry Conway, he's really going forward with these characters in a way that is almost like... So one of the things I wanted to ask you was like, how do you feel at this... We know later as comic book fans how we'll feel about the relationship between Peter and Mary. But here it's kind of like, yeah, you're dating the girl's boyfriend or you're dating your girlfriend's i don't think it, i don't think it feels that way i mean it feels fairly organic i mean it does because I, they originally dated but it also was kind of yeah. like after like that happening harry hadn't dated her in a long time and and if you're reading this at the time it would have been like a couple of years you know what i mean like they hadn't been together for quite a while that's true um and, and plus you 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 had seen these characters had kind of been pushed together a little bit more since Gwen's death in a more natural way. Like, if you think about it, like, this is like a full, 
you know, if you're if you're reading this and you're a kid, and this is you know almost a year and a half later uh, after the death, that's going to feel like a really long time. And you know that the characters can kind of breathe and move on from you know tragic you know circumstances. Yeah, that's a good point. It's important to remember, like we read these now in collected forms, so you're going mm-hmm. through it like it's been a week in the character's life, maybe. But yeah. you also have to remember the publishing aspect of it and how you've grown up while you've read it, right? So mm-hmm. sometimes I got to remind myself, no, this is five years worth of x-men story or spider-man story in this volume presidents have changed somewhere in between so the culture like there's a culture shift somewhere in in some of these books right and you got to keep keep in mind as you read them the thing too is i mean we're also in a time and place where if you read six issues and we've talked about this before ad nauseum but you read six issues you're getting one story it's like maybe a week whereas you know back then you read one issue that might be a week (laughs) like so much is happening in that week um, so the, it really makes it feel more lived in. So, you know, I, it never bothered me very much. It's funny cause I feel like I went, when I read this the first time, I had already read a few issues after this where they have their big first kiss. They go, you know, he's about to fly to Paris, I believe. And so they're at the airport and they have this kiss and it's like, come here tiger. And they have this really epic kiss this first kiss moment that is illustrated. And so in my mind, when I go back and read this, I always forget that this is first. I always feel like, no, that's already happened, right? Because that's, that feels like that's the moment the relationship was really cemented. But no, it's it's earlier here. In the Spider-Man cartoon, we have this this moment that kind of starts this issue with them kind of on a date um, and going back to his place and wondering if Harry's going to be there. And then suddenly it explodes. That's that's right in the in the animated series. Like that, it's so perfectly replicated. Uh, it's the same idea where, although in that one, Peter thinks that it is Norman come back and that it isn't Harry initially uh, because in that you know iteration, Norman just disappeared into a, a portal. So in theory, he could come oh, back, whereas right. here, it's, you know, Peter knows that Norman's dead, so there's less uh, intrigue in that way. Uh, but again, you have a lot of, you know, Peter, there's a, some great pages here where Peter kind of relives the death of Gwen. I was um, going to mention, very, that's a beautiful and very, splash page. Yeah. It's a it's a beautiful page, very classic kind of Peter with those kind of stars around his head when he's kind of you know taken aback by something or really kind of out of it. Uh, and that's how the, you know the, the artist decides to kind of show it. Uh, even you have pages and pages of him finding the you know, the old land, the old headquarters, re, you know, being a bit of a detective, figuring out that Harry's coming, uh, which is excellent. Like it's just it's really well paced. Um, this feels like a very earned. Like they don't jump into it too quickly. Now, if you think about it. You have that explosion, and then you don't have him confront Harry for pages and pages. And then you have, you know, a knockdown dragout fight for the rest of the issue. It's it's really well paced. If you ratchet up the tension, um, you know that you know Peter could really lay the you know lay the beat down on this guy, but he can't because it's his friend. He's trying to reason with him. It's fantastic. Yeah, it's uh, like you said, very well earned. Even if that moment where he's at the old hideout, where he would suspect the goblin to be. Uh, and he sets up that little hammock, that moment where you see the shadow, <laughs> just a little panel of the shadow of uh, the goblin. And then the next page is, I, I can't imagine what that would have been like as a kid in a, you know, single issue magazine. If this, you open it and it's just that shot of them fighting in the lab or him, the reveal mm-hmm. of the green goblin is back. Um, do you think that it was good that they used Harry in such a limited capacity as the Green Goblin? Yeah, I do. Um, when when does he right? when does he come back in the eighties as the Goblin? Is it so that's spe- much later? Yeah, that's the next so, time you so see the Green Goblin, right? Well, no. You, you see uh, him. You see him in in the you know the new Goblin trade series. It's like one issues one seventy five or in the one eighty somewhere, yeah. right? He's, he's around, like Harry's around, he's with his, his therapist, his therapist turns into the Green Goblin. Right. Um, that doesn't go well. Um, yeah, Harry helps kind of beat him off. That doesn't sound right. Uh, and then, and then um, family show, family show. Yeah. Um, and then uh, Harry's around, and then he's yeah. kind of recuperated, right? So right. he's running Oscorp. He's, he's there doing all the Hobgoblin stuff, which is important because, you know, he's there. He's t- at one point, uh, Liz, when she's pregnant with... Uh, Normie is abducted with with MJ by the Hobgoblin and kept captive. 
Um, but yeah, he's not actually the goblin again, I guess, until Inferno. Uh, That's when, when it happens, on, right? Yeah, so I, I guess you're right. I, I guess it's the last time he's in, the next time he's actually the goblin, besides briefly in the new goblin uh, era when Bart Hamilton was the goblin. And then after that, he's briefly the goblin again when he's a hero in Web of Spider-Man, uh, which is just before Jam and DeMatteis comes in Spectacular, and then that whole run takes its, takes place. So I guess you're right. I thought it was, maybe it was earlier, but yeah, I guess he really wasn't the Goblin for a long time. And I think that's smart. I think there was no need for that. I think there was this, this desire. I wonder how far ahead Jerry really thought. I think he thought, I have a really cool idea. Maybe Harry finds out and then he tries to be the Goblin. But then I think he was like, well, I don't really want to use Harry as the Goblin. Harry's never going to be the Goblin. He's never going to have, you know, the mania. He's never going to have the same powers. So I think that's why he kind of tucked him off to the side, but moved the character forward as kind of, you know, how are you going to rehabilitate this character? And obviously other writers figured it out on a way of kind of dealing, a guy dealing with insanity, dealing with the pressures of family. And a lot of people would then heap a lot more development on there. And I think it was better for the character um, and definitely pushed him in an interesting direction. And I think, Although, and sorry, I go on a long tangent no, here. No, no, go ahead. Part of me wonders that if we didn't have Jim Mateus, sorry, Jam Jim Mateus, if Jam Jim Mateus did not write Child Within, everything up to Spectacular 200, if that whole sequence of amazing, uh, you know, Harry Osborne stories didn't happen, would we feel the same way in the looking back about no. the decision to make Harry the Goblin? And I don't, I think the answer is probably right. I think you just said, I don't think we would because no. there was so much paid off that Demetrius basically said, we've had this character like a ticking bomb ever since, you know, the seventies and no one's really played with it. He's never really lost it again. He's never really become the Goblin. Let's play with that. And if he didn't play with it, I mean, maybe someone eventually would, but would they have been able to do it as deftly? Like, there's just something about he really cemented the Osborne legacy in Harry and what that meant for the character. And then eventually, when we have Norman come back, the fact that Harry died fighting Spider-Man it brings up rise to whole new areas of storytelling um, for Norman. But it all comes out of you know what Demetrius did with what Conway did. So you know what I mean? Like, I, yeah. I hope that wasn't too much. No, to no, say no. There. I, I, I think that's a really interesting point because th this story is a two issues that pretty important of what happens it's very entertaining um i like the the setup of everything that happens in 136 uh the way and and the callbacks to it of when peter has to in the next issue i'm jumping ahead right now but in the next issue there's things that happen at the very beginning of of 136 that there's the payoff which i i think you know, when people argue about, all oh, continuity is not important. And, to, and and you know what? Ultimately, it's not. Great stories are, are what matter. But at this point, when the universe is so young and you can still reference things that happened before, there's such a payoff, right? So in the in 136, he the apartment explodes. Mary Jane is clearly injured badly, much more than Peter would be. But Peter has to think about the fact that I got some things in here to hide that could make matters much worse for the both of us. And it seems selfish, but then he's also got to go back and play as shocked and upset as he really feels after having snuck away to take care of yep. something, which in issue 137, when he has that, is it a Sophie's Choice, basically, where, mm. you know, it's that Batman, the Joker and the Batman thing from The Dark Knight. It's like, you can either go here, you can either go there. <laughs> Pick who you want yeah. to save. That moment... When the apartment explodes, he's got to now remember, oh, that's the only way that I'm going to have a chance is to go and get my web fluid, my suit, whatever it is there that I've stashed away. And it's, again, so much payoff in these two issues of these two characters who mean a lot to the Spider-Man universe. Like it, To this day, I haven't read Spider-Man from Nick Spencer, completed it, but I can imagine there was something in there revolving the Greek Goblin. Yes. Yeah. There you go. Right. For better or for worse. Right. Yes. And it, it's it's, and I think you make an excellent point of Demetrius going back to what you said. I I don't want to ignore that, but him making, cementing something that could have just been a throwaway, like these two issues could have just been a throwaway. Something cool that happened. That of course somewhere maybe maybe Dan Slott would have done something. He's like I'm gonna you know pick at this thing, but Harry as as. Um, the Green Goblin. That's all JMD making it really mean almost more than that original rivalry. 
I don't know. Is that is that too much? Is that too far to say about that relationship? No, I don't think so. No, I don't. I, I don't think so at all. I mean, there's just something about Harry and Peter. I mean, the movie's definitely tapped into this. The idea that at the end of the day, Harry blames Peter for his dad's death. It's very simple. It's yeah. not complicated. It's not you know. It's not really about M- MJ or anyone else. It's my dad died fighting you. You killed my dad. You're the reason my dad is dead. So I'm going to do everything I can to stop you or to kill you because you took my dad from me. Very primal, very simple. It doesn't need to be more complicated than that. Now, Demetrius definitely delved into why that matters so much, why he cares so much about his father's approval, what his father, him and his father had a very complicated relationship. And that's part of what caused him to take it so much more, you know, uh, to really take it so extreme when he, you know, blames this person for taking his father away from him, this person that he, you know, if you read Child Within, he he keeps, um, you know, believing that, like, my father loved me. He loved me. And then the specter of Spider-Man saying, he didn't love you. He didn't love you. Even though it's not actually Peter saying it, it's mm-hmm. It's the, the Spider-Man who exists in Harry's head, which, you know, it, it's almost worse than anything someone could say to someone. So, yeah, it, it's such a core primal thing that Conway taps into here. You get it. Like, you get why Harry's doing this. You never, there's a lot yeah. of things that villains do, and you're like, I don't really know why they're doing this or why they're doing that, but there's something so primal about, you took my father from me. I'm going to make you pay. And you lied to me. You know, you didn't tell me who you were. You know, it's, 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 a, it's a betrayal. You feel like you didn't tell me who you were. You're the reason my dad is dead. I'm going to come get you. Now, most of us wouldn't put on a costume and start throwing pumpkin bombs and, you know, potentially hurt other people. But that's comic books. That's just what people do. If but, your enemy you know, is Spider-Man, maybe you'd have to, right? Yeah, that's true. So there you, you got to figure out a way to get them. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, again, extremely impactful. These stories, they're well done. They're, they're, they're very taut. There's not a lot of wasted space in these types of books because there's so much they have to kind of move around. That last page of, I guess, 137... Um, I love the moment that you actually have Harry say, you know, he's Spider-Man. I can prove it. And Peter's like, this is it. It's over. I'm done. And that, if you're reading this as a kid, would have been like, a, he did it. He, he did it. Isn't it over? And the fact that they're like, oh, you know, we don't believe him because he doesn't say that my dad was the Green Goblin. He says, I'm the Green Goblin. And they're like, well, you couldn't have been a Green Goblin since the beginning because you would have been just a kid being a Green Goblin. So you must be full of shit, which is kind of funny. But, like, I like that that's how they deal with it. Like, he gets to say his thing. He doesn't get to hold it over Peter's head. He does say it, and no one believes him. And everyone just kind of writes it off. And that's actually really damaging to Harry as a person, which will end up coming, you know, if you read future Harry appearances, his sanity's kind of shaken, and he kind of starts to doubt himself because no one believes him. Why would they, right? He doesn't, and again, he doesn't come out and say, my dad was the Green Goblin and I'm succeeding him. He just says, I'm the Green Goblin and no one believes him. And that's how they deal with the story. And then the last panel where you have him, you know, the police officer saying, he poor kid, he's going to need a lot of help, which is obviously, you know, we do get to see that later because he's still in the cast. And Peter just saying, whatever I can give, he's got. You see, officer, he's my friend. And that's always going to be Peter. He kills me. He tries to kill me, but he's still my friend. Even in No Way Home where you have Peter talking about, you know, when uh, Ned asks Peter, uh, sorry, Tobey Maguire's Peter, you know, do you have a best friend? And he's like, yeah, I did. He's like, what happened to him? He's like, oh, he tried to kill me. But like, you know, but he's still saying like he was my best friend. He, you know, he, and that's just, that's the relationship between Harry and Peter. They're going to be best friends, even if one of them wants to kill the other. Yeah, I think that's one of my favorite things about these type of stories and these characters is the the morality in them is that they they sometimes make what we would say the wrong choice because of their love for a person. Like it, it doesn't make sense for, and, and you know, Batman and the Joker, there's no love lost there, but it's that I don't kill them. I, I can't go that route because you become, you know, Superman from injustice and Peter is like, you're still my friend. And, and it's one of those, it seems cheesy to say, but it's a morality lesson that, you know what, there's something to be said about what you've, the, the morality lesson in a comic book where it's like even though we are at such odds on some very le- actual legitimate differences that's still my friend and I'm still gonna so even though he's outed me and done something that can completely ruin my life whatever he needs I'm there to help him that's not something that we do anymore it seems right so the relationship between the something like Peter and and 
Harry. There's a lot of value in that, and I think that's why Spider-Man is so relatable and an admirable character. And, and in the movie, I think it was few people had said the point is Spider-Man does not kill. He will not let a life be lost because that's what his he hates when that happens. That value of life. It's uh, it's very sobering, and it's always been like mm-hmm. that with him and Harry. With all that angst, that's there's right. a tenderness, you know. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. Was there anything about so reading through the? I mean, the the second issue again is a little bit more action oriented, a little bit more tense because now the plate is set. You know, you're getting, uh, you know, and also Harry's taking shots at pe- the people that that Peter loves. Um, what is there anything about it that you thought didn't work for you, or that you know was kind of weak about what you were seeing? I was trying to find stuff like that. Like again, it's it's easy to if you try to judge these books based off of how we read comics today and how they're paced today. There's a lot of things that are happening so fast and somewhat like, that's it, that's the scene. Okay, the Saturday morning cartoon style, like you got through that quick. But when you really look at the economy of space that Ross Andrew is working with, like the pacing is fantastic. Like I can't even be mad at that. You get all this action on one page that has seven panels that are just all kind of different from each other. And you feel the impact of when Peter crashes through the window. You know that he's not looking forward to this, but he has no choice. That desperation. I'm trying to think, like, not really. While I started it, I'm kind of like, okay, these are kind of old school comics. But the pace of it moves good. And you get a lot of story in it. How about Mm -hmm. for you? I do. I I really enjoy it. Again, I think one thing I really enjoy about this era and also 60s but more so this era with with Conway because it's a little it feels like a little bit more of a mature voice is you know he's talking to the reader um you know you have like uh, even on that first page which is kind of funny because you have like three different types of font boxes on the three I think I'm thinking through 136 here um when you have you know just a nice idyllic scene in the front in the foreground because you have Peter and MJ just kind of walking uh you know walking back to to his place and then you have uh, at the top, again, it's very busy, right? Because at the top, you have the masthead, Stanley presents the Amazing Spider-Man. Then you have the little log line of who Peter Parker is, you know, all about how he got his powers. Then you have the actual image. And then in the image, you have first a little, I guess, like pink box saying, surely the most important comic story I'll read this year. And I do kind of miss that verbosity. I think there's something fun about that. Yeah. Then you have much more stylized. You have the Green Goblin lives again uh, in green and purple font inside a yellow box. Uh, mm-hmm. Which has got like you know almost like electric sides to it, and then you have another box in orange. To put it mildly, this is the one you've been waiting for in, in the all bold, and I like that. There's just something fun about to me about that kind of style. You're talking to the reader. Um, I, I enjoy that. I miss that kind of feeling about comics when I read these books, and they're like, well, let's let's take a look over here. I don't know why I just like that. Instead of them saying, meanwhile over here, they're like, let's take a look over here. I don't know. There's just something more. Again, they're talking to you as a reader. It feels more collaborative as an experience of reading it as opposed to more modern comics where they they take that point out and they just kind of let you read it because I guess they're trying to be more mature, whereas they're not going to take you by the hand. But I kind of like being taken by the hand and say, let's go take a look over here. That's fun. No, you're right. There is that that um, you're looking in on their lives because you care. Like you've been you've been along this for this long. You've been on the ride for this long. Let's take a look at what this is, what's happening here. And and you care about people that work at the Daily Bugle after a while. You start to be concerned, like, yeah, yeah, I want to see that what came of that fight between Jameson and, and Robbie. Like, where are they going yeah. now? And and there was that moment where at the end of 136, the way that it ends in the like the convenient postscript, it's not a cliffhanger of Peter's life on the line. It's him leaving his work offices and saying, you know what? If this guy's not going to give me a little bit of time off because I got some business to handle, I quit. And everyone can yep. kind of stick it. And he walks. And it's, so it's not like, let's tune in next time to see if he can escape the death trap. That's not the end of the huh. issue. It's him saying, I'm going to go and look for this guy, this psychopath. And yep. in the next issue, when he v- is at the hospital ch- checking in on MJ, having forgotten almost about her, everybody's there. And Jameson's like, yeah, are you all right? Can we... Can we get past that little argument that we had in the last issue? He's still sticking to his guns. Like, get your hands off of me. And you start to care, like, to your point of being taken by the hand. You 
remember those moments a little differently. It's like they all kind of matter in a way that mm-hmm. isn't throwaway. For sure. Yeah. Um, so I, yeah, I, this is kind of, again, a, a weirder pick for, I think, for a book of the month because it's not you know, your more typical stuff, but uh, it's not like it's totally untold. It's not like it's a totally swept under the rug kind of comic, but it's also not something that's talked about as much. But again, its impacts exist underrated. forever. Yeah, it's definitely underrated. And um, yeah. I like the... Uh, I like the stakes that are at hand in the second issue where he has to make a choice. You know he's going to pick Aunt May. But mm. because just at that, you, you can't imagine like, I got to go save Flash. That that wouldn't, <laughs> that wouldn't have, I mean, you, he wouldn't have wanted Flash to die. But the point being, um, when the Green Goblin showed up, I was wondering and I wanted to ask you, do you think fans had a bit of fear? at the fact that when this guy's going to kill somebody, he just might do it. Because the last time they had people on the cover saying someone's yeah. going to go, now there's people there again. It's like, so is every year something going to happen in Spider-Man's life that is part mm-hmm. of what happens to this guy now? Uncle Ben, Captain Stacy. I don't think they would have I don't think they would have thought that. Um, I guess just cuz it's cuz it was Harry. Um, okay. I think if, if it had been Norman, I think they might have been more worried about it. Um but I don't know if fans would have been that worried. I mean, it's not it's it's not like he hadn't had loved ones not killed before. <laughs> like, that's what I mean. In, you know, in, in jeopardy and then not die. So, I mean, I feel like they would have been like, oh, that's cool, but he'll save them. Um, whereas, again, I get to your point, a year earlier they did kill someone, so maybe they're thinking that it's different. But I think the fact that it was Harry and uh, the story was much more about that and not he wasn't like bloodthirsty per se in terms of killing other people like Norman didn't care who he killed but Harry was definitely laser focused on killing you know Peter and making Peter hurt um, I mean obviously he did try to kill Aunt May but I don't know did he did he try as hard as he could have I don't know like, yeah felt very very comic booky like that, I guess that's the only detractor here is that the best parts are when it's Peter and Harry fighting each other when it's Harry you know, having a, a diabolical trap and that feels much more like, you know, Saturday cartoon villain type of thing, like a, a little bit less, a less personal part of the fight. Um, right. Still like personal because he's going after trying to hurt who Peter is, but not in the same way as them just having a knockdown drag out between the two men. Um, but it's, it's an interesting point you raised for sure. Yeah, this, this was such, I mean, we didn't f- talk about the filler issues in between. Not that any of them are filler issues, but the stuff from 122 to here. Just brand new characters being created. Major characters of the Marvel Universe have, were brought. It's like the Punisher shows up there. Yeah. Not to say that Man-Wolf is a major character, but there's all these new big moments in Peter's life that are occurring. It was uh, Luke Cage. Was that his first appearance? Was it 123? Uh, no. Uh, no, uh, Luke Cage's first appearance here. Like he, he had his first appearance in his own book first. Okay, okay, I couldn't remember. But there was all these key moments from after Gwen that you would think like, man, all of that happened in between? What a, like mm-hmm. Jerry Conway was really laying down some tracks. So cool when you go back and see, like the, it, it seems like, even when you read like X Men, right? Like all of this was like bank, one after the other, one after the other. Yeah, it's a cool time. I know, very cool time. Yeah, absolutely. So the bigger question is, what are we going to talk about next time? And I don't know yet. <laughs> how do you How do you feel about? Do you want to do it in small bite sized chunks, or do you want to tackle like a a grander story, like a trade or something? <sighs> That's fantastic. Fantastic question. It really depends on what the character is and, and what what the focus is or what we want it to be. I mean, I could do trade trade wise. It could be there's something definitely special about it being something a little bit more bite sized. It's easier to kind of grasp and really jump into, uh, unless it's a obviously a larger story arc or you know one of the more modern story arcs that are like five or six issues. That's that would be fine too. I don't know. I guess we'll have to figure it out. I uh, I also go back in my head like do we do DC because I know that you've been really Marvel heavy with Dave more more or less more of the time like you do go into the DC well but less often than you do Marvel um we've been now doing two Marvel book of the month so I feel like DC needs some love too okay uh let's do it on let's do it on the air okay do we have some time to do this we could come up with something I don't know if this is 
I don't know if this part's interesting to anybody. Is oh, I think so. Let's have two nerds decide what they're going to talk about next time. <laughs> well, we already debated. Okay, so we're going to go DC. You want to do DC this time? I think we'll it go back be. and forth. Okay. Um, do we do uh, da, 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 a Justice League member or something out of the Justice League? Uh, I would have two characters in my mind that I wouldn't mind talking about, but I'm not even sure which issues per se. Okay. Uh, Who are the actually, characters? Well, so the characters would be Flash or Nightwing. Okay. Okay, let's go with Flash or Nightwing. Now, I, okay. I don't have much Nightwing left, I don't think, on my shelf. I had... So, so, so let's throw that off the, off the radar. Let's just talk about Flash. <laughs> okay, let's do Flash. Let's do a Flash okay. story. Do we go Jeff Johns, Mark Wade? Oh, or, that's a really tough one. Or do we do Joshua Williamson? Or uh, I, I like going older. I, uh, I, I oh, that's a tough one. Here's here's why it's a tough one for me. If if I want to sit down and really get deep into a story and really talk about something, uh, if it's Jeff Johns, um, I mean his run as a macro thing is obviously very good. But I would say the first like year or two is not as strong as later, um, partially because he's built up his world and anybody gets to plan it. So my favorite of all the Jeff Johns Flash stories is definitely the last one, uh, mm-hmm. which is Rogue War. Rogue War does not exist without the many years before he'd been working on it because there's so many subplots. Um, my favorite thing about that storyline is it feels like at the end of each issue, he ratchets it up and you're like, holy shit, what's happening next? And you get to the next one, you're like, what? How are you somehow making this even crazier? And you get to the end, you're like, oh my God, take all my money. Like This is amazing. I want to read this forever. Like That's how I feel about Rogue War. So I don't know how partial I can be to that because it, it, it feels like it takes every bit of it, of me being a comic book lover and says, you want it all synthesized into something amazing? Read this. Right. Um, so I'm a big fan of, of Rogue War for that reason, which is, again, his last arc on the Wally West Flash, I should say. Not because obviously he would write uh, Barry afterwards. So here's a question. Um, Sorry to interrupt you. Do we yes. want to do Barry Allen or Wally West if we're going to do a Flash? Though? I say Wally. I say Wally too. Okay. I think Wally, to be honest, has better stories. Like, it's, yeah. Barry oh, yeah, has yeah, the yeah, legacy, yeah. but if you actually wanted to sit down and be like, okay, what are the best Barry stories? Like, how many are there? Because you got to remember that like, he died in the 80s, like mid-80s. And before then, he had an overly long, complicated subplot for many years where he was on the run because he was, you know, um, there was, he was on... He was wanted for murder, so he was on the run. He wasn't even really Barry for a long time. Uh, I feel like the book didn't really know what it wanted to do with Barry, and then it killed him. Or they sent him to the future so he could die in crisis. And then you have Wally, and I think Wally gets the benefit of, you know, he gets the, the modern DC era of actually understanding characters and actually starting to develop them that Barry never got. Because Barry died before they really cared about doing that with anyone not named Batman or Superman. So by the time it was time to actually get some real fleshing out of a character... He didn't exist, or he was dead, and we had Wally instead. So Wally got all the good stuff. He got all the development for years. Then he got the uh, the creation of the of the Speed Force, which was the seismic change that forever changed everything about the Flash. Like you cannot. That's what's always going to marry Mark Wade's name with the Flash is the fact that the Speed Force and everything everyone knows about the Flash does not exist without Mark Wade. Maybe someone else would have come up with it at some point, but it was really Mark Wade and Brian Augustine. Without those two guys, we don't have the speed force, and we don't have a lot of what everyone in the mainstream knows about about Barry, uh, uh, sorry, the Flash in general, comes from the idea of he uses the speed force. He taps into this this other thing. You see it in the TV show. You see it in the cartoons. And that doesn't exist without Mark Wade. Yeah. that I, I have the whole set now, and they've just announced the omnibus for it, of course. But uh, I'm so jealous of you because I, I, sorry, a quick aside. Yeah. Two years ago, pandemic was starting. They were starting to close things up. I was at Silver Snail. They had the, or maybe it was a year and a half ago, but I forget which uh, shutdown it was uh, in our area. But they had all, most of the Mark Wade ones all up for sale with a ridiculous discount. And I didn't buy them. I think I bought a bunch of the Jeff Johns ones instead and didn't buy Mark Wade. And I should have. And I never made it back to that store. Uh, before they moved to a different location and that sale was obviously over and it was a really great like moving sale so i i always thought i would be able to go back there uh, the lockdown lasted too long then they moved stores i never got them so now i don't have any of the mark wade ones uh, in trade i know it's horrible and i want them and there's two that you cannot find 
Uh, one in particular is impossible. The other one, you can get it for like 80 bucks. So I can, I can get it. Whereas the other one is like hundreds of dollars. So I'll never have that volume. Um, I have always toyed with finally picking up at least as many as I can. Plus the Millar and Morrison one that kind of comes between two of the, uh, yeah. the collections. Cause I have, I have all the Jeff Johns ones. Uh, and then I was at BMV last week and I happened to see like a pretty discounted volume four of the Mark Waid flash. It was like 20 bucks. I'm like done. This is $40 online. It's in good condition. I'll buy that. So now I'm like, okay, I think it's might be time for me to really dip into this. Now I'm going to uh, the States in a couple of weeks during uh, actually the weekend of free comic book day. So that might be my time in, in, in the States. Maybe I'll find a store that has these Do flash it. for Mark Wade volumes. Maybe I can pick up a bunch of them. I don't know if I can get number six because I believe that's the impossible volume. But uh, I'm hoping that I will come home with some of them because I do love his work. I've read it all. I've enjoyed it all. Um, it's definitely one of the defining flash works um, that, you know, again, you don't have Jeff Johns without Mark Wade. Um, but uh, I don't have it yet. But I would talk about anything from there. I have DC Infinite now. I have access to all these issues. So I'm not concerned about that. I want to do a flash read through of Mark Wade because I haven't read much of it. I've read the um, some of the key storylines in it. Maybe the first mm-hmm. two volumes I've read of it. So there's a lot to go. So I'm probably, I'd, I'd like to, mm, I don't want to say this year because it's a lot of Flash to read, but I'd like to finish them all this year. I think it's possible. I think it's possible for sure. Here's the thing, it really does grab you. Like it, it, I mean, a lot of this stuff gets really complex and you kind of, you can't leave it alone too long because some of the stuff really builds and a lot in a big way. Um, a natural ending point, if you're like, okay, I want to read for a while and then know when to stop for a bit, is 100. Uh, 100 is a great spot to kind of take a deep breath, uh, which is in the middle of uh, Volume 4. Um, volume 5, sorry, Volume 1, I should say, has you know a really great starter because you have the kind of year one kind of flashback to the first days of Kid Flash. I think Volume 2 is the one that, that has one. the return of Barry Allen, yeah, which is that one as well. obviously the big one like i have that on my shelf as one of the original trades where it was just the return of barry allen that's a fantastic story um yeah the, the entire run's good i think you could do it i mean it's flash i mean some of it gets really heady and complicated and complex especially in volume eight um but it's it really does you know reward the reader i will say there's such a huge difference between jeff johns and mark wade because mark wade was like let's play with all these crazy concepts let's, you know let's have them leap through time and realities and have all sorts of crazy things happen, um, all sorts of other speedsters from different timelines. And then you look at Jeff Johns, and his was much more grounded about the character yeah. um, and, le- and, and, and less villains. about the fantastical, crazy stuff that you can do with Flash. And he was a lot more about, let's just tell you know simpler stories. Um, and they're both great for many different reasons. Pick a Mark Wade Flash story. That's what we'll do next. Tell me what you, which one you want to do, and... Uh. We'll do that. That's well. I'm, it, it, it's cheating to say Return of Barry Allen, but that's because that's the quintessential one. So I don't want to say that. Um, okay, let me think about it. I think it's either going to be Terminal Velocity or Chain Lightning, um, but they're going to be complicated and they're going to be a little bit weird and crazy, and there's going to be a lot going on there. But I think we'll have fun. Um, where where because, where you know, are those just, stories located in the stream of the trades? This is good, geeky so, territory. <laughs> I believe, yeah, I believe Flash Terminal Velocity is, I believe, I think that's the one that ends with issue 100. I think that's the storyline that ends there. Uh, or should, maybe I'm wrong. Uh, let me just double check online here. We got, uh, this is excellent audio. People are so excited with their earbuds in listening to me talk about this. Um, I'm, I'm, I may have to do that off podcast, but uh, I'll, I'll figure out the exact issues and okay. which one is whichever one comes first is probably the one we'd want to read. Um, yeah. Oh, another thing Mark Wade did obviously is he brought the world impulse. So Bart Allen does not exist again without Mark Wade. So that's another gift he gave uh, comic book fans. Yeah, and I I have I think that original trade as well. Like I everything that was associated with this, I was able to find and piece it together. So I'm excited to read it, but it, it is a it's daunting, and I and the stupid thing is, is that I I read chunks of it, but then I was like, let me wait until the whole thing is collected, because DC likes to leave things off and leave you hanging. Yes. So knowing that it was all complete, and you can get your whole story, and it's like, let's begin, because there's nothing worse <laughs> than getting up to volume five, and then they just say, yeah, we're like I think they did that with Kyle Rayner's Green Lantern, like they just stopped making them. Exactly. No, they did do that. Yeah, it looks like uh, we have 
Uh, terminal velocity uh, is, I think, starts in like 94 or something. Um, issue 94. It ends with issue 100. So if you just work your way backwards, I think it's like a six-issue storyline. Okay. Let's do it. Terminal velocity. Sounds good. Adam Chapman, thank you for your time, sir. And uh, we will record more Book of the Month clubs for you. <laughs> just for me. Just for you. Because <laughs> you're probably me and you will be the only ones who listen to it. <laughs> That's and Dave in England. I'm okay with that. No, you know what? Yeah, it's, Dave will listen. It's surprising that, that when I was at um, Comic Con this past this past uh, March, someone came up to me after the panel I hosted, and it was an older woman, maybe in her fifties, who says, "I like your podcast." Mm-hmm. She goes, "You're you're oh, Cable wow. Solitude." Right? I'm like, "Yeah." She goes, "It's a very interesting show." I said, "Who are you? Like, who paid <laughs> you? To, you listen to it, so you never know." Right, you'll be surprised at who might tune into something you you've recorded. So, uh, you met your fan. My one fan and my other fan, Adam Chapman, who comes on the show. <laughs> That's right. Thank well, you, buddy. You, you were mine, right? You were like, "Hey, like you're a podcaster. We should like meet." I'm like, "Cool." Like I don't know anyone. It's true, right? You'd be surprised. You wouldn't. Has anyone who's ever listened to the show messaged you like that before? Like that's kind of creepy, but. No, no. Um, well, actually, the previous guest of the show, AJ Reese, uh, we, you know, we still correspond. Um, he originally was a listener, and he was interested in some of the Heroclix stuff that we used to do on the show. And, uh, we, you know, we've never met. He lives in uh, Alabama now, um, but we've corresponded throughout the years. Um, he's been my mule. He's been very kind to – he's the oh, one who had our cool. amazing yeah, Spider-Man yeah, yeah, volumes yeah, yeah. that – that were sent to the states and eventually kind of came uh, came north. So you know that's been true. Uh, another friend of the show, uh, my show was Tim Riley, who actually ended up coming on a few episodes with me. Uh, I usually just reach out if fans are not nice enough to reach out. I'm like, hey, you want to come on the show? Like, uh, it's just you know, it's a fun little. It's a very small community, but it's fun. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it it uh, you'd be surprised the type of friendships you find, right? So far, that's been the best part of this show. So I appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's the friends you get a, you make along the way. That's and you go watch baseball games with every year. Absolutely. Well, eventually you're going to go to the UK and you're going to meet Dave. You're going to have the best. One up. day, one day, yeah. When his little small town, I'm, I think it's a small town, but uh, yeah, one oh, day. Is it? I, I I don't think it's it's a major city. I think he's not far. But Dave, if you're listening, I'm sorry. I don't know where you live. You're across the pond. <laughs> <laughs> it's in England. <laughs> you're going to get a, an, an angry email after he hears this and like I'm done. I, I don't want to be on your show anymore. <laughs> How dare you not know my town? Yeah. <laughs> All right, dude. Thank you so much. We will be back soon with more uh, Cave of Solitude Book of the Month clubs. Adam, plug the show. Let them know what's coming up next so that people can listen to uh, more comic book goodness. Yes. Uh, so you should download the Comic Shenanigans podcast. Uh, we're available on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, whatever you call it, and many other places, Stitcher, Apple Music, et cetera, uh, sorry, um, Amazon Music, etc. So you can find the podcast there. We have Kelly Thompson coming on the show soon. Uh, which is exciting, um, and a lot of other things. Um, I'm trying to think. I, I'm working on a lot of. This might be the last year of the podcast, so I'm really working on some like bucket list uh, interviews uh, to try and make happen, which would be nice. But uh, we'll we'll see. But uh, some good, always some good stuff down the bike, and obviously you're going to come back at some point. Yes, we're going to go to a baseball game. Yes, um, it's going to be great. <laughs> Thank you, dude. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Stay safe, have fun, enjoy reading your comic books. We will talk soon.